Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about that one time Walt Disney and Salvador Dali worked on a short film together. This is something that is absolutely mind-blowing to me, because I didn't know it existed until I fell down a deep, deep internet rabbit hole. Yeah, this actually came up when we were researching for our next Disney Decade episode, so that'll be coming out soon, but you kind of stumbled upon this, dug into it a little bit, and thought this would make for an interesting episode. So uh, this is definitely a, a good one. I think it'll be fun to talk about, and if you've not seen this short film, it's on Disney Plus now. It's also on YouTube. It's called Destino, but we'll get into that uh, in a couple of minutes here. First, I want to cover some Disney news. Maybe a month ago or so, we talked about changes coming to the Jungle Cruise, and Disney has now announced kind of one of the first changes to the backstory. So they now have a new character called Alberta Falls, and she's going to be playing a much more predominant role in the backstory. And she's the granddaughter of Albert Falls, and she is the owner and proprietor of the Jungle Cruise Company. What I found interesting is in kind of the press release, Disney made this fake interview article that they discovered from 1938 that she gave on <laughs> yeah. why she's doing the Jungle Cruise and everything. But it specifically mentions that Albert Falls, again, her grandfather, was a part of the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, mm. and he mysteriously disappeared. And that's why you know she's looking for him, but she's keeping the company alive as well um, as a way to kind of fund her exploration for him. So I thought this was interesting because one, we have a Jungle Cruise movie coming out, and I wonder, is she going to be a character or at least maybe named in passing? That's yeah, kind I was of a wondering tie-in. that too. It seems like it's coming out at such a time that that would make for an interesting tie-in. And that, I mean, she seems like she's going to play a pretty predominant role in the updated version of the Jungle Cruise. Yeah, so I think it's an easy way to tie into the movie. But also, the, the other thing I think is interesting is... I can't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago, we talked about that they are working on a kind of connected series about the Magic Kingdom, like the Magic Kingdom existed on Disney+. And we kind of speculated about C, the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, if that was going to play a role in this. And there was a couple lines, like I said, you know, in this interview, quote unquote, interview with Alberta Falls about, I mean, it's specifically named C. It's specifically named he vanished mysteriously, you know, under mysterious circumstances, her grandfather, that being Albert Falls. And so I, I kind of think this is Disney setting up for this series and for these tie-ins with Disney Plus and the rides because they've never really mentioned C very overtly before. And yeah. so I think with with the new Disney Plus series coming in, and now you have Alberta Falls as a more predominant character on the Jungle Cruise, that this is going to create some really interesting tie-ins. And I think you could have a whole series about her searching for her grandfather. Right. There were tie-ins before, but you had to be really tuned into them. I know when we did our episode on the Adventurers Club, we talked about that and the different parks and the different places and how all of like everywhere like there was there were mentions of C. So this is just really interesting how they're just kind of going to draw that out and make it more obvious. Um, they've been kind of subtly laying the groundwork as just kind of a little Easter egg, but now yeah, it could it it's it sounds like I mean they're going to make it like the MCV, MCU. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, with with all the Disney Plus shows. So I, I think this is a a good first step. I'm kind of excited 
when you see all that kind of different news pieces even connecting. I'm, I'm sorry, when you when you what it? When you see it, yes. <laughs> no pun intended there. But but yeah, it's interesting. Like you can kind of piece this stuff together. Oh, they're working on a Disney Plus series. Oh, they're adding this new character to the Jungle Cruise who has a connection to this world that could show up on Disney Plus and, and then potentially in the Jungle Cruise movies. And I think even if she doesn't appear or maybe maybe just name dropped in the first movie, I know they want that to be a franchise. And so you have to imagine she'll show up as a character in a future installment and then maybe tie into the Disney Plus show. So I, I think there's a lot of ways that they're really expanding the synergy of all of this. All right, and then over on the theatrical side, some reshuffling of some movies over there. So Black Widow moves again. I think eventually <laughs> we will see this movie. Um, I think, you know, we talked about Raya uh, a week or so ago and how the hype machine, I think, kind of let us down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Black Widow better come out and be the greatest movie ever made <laughs> because it's been moved three or four times now and it's coming out like a year and a half late. If this isn't the greatest movie and shakes the foundation of the MCU, I'm going to be like, why did they even bother moving it around so much? <laughs> because it's now going to come out in July and it looks like Kevin Foggy lost the battle of the Disney Plus release because they are, it is going to be available on Disney Plus as a premium rental. There were reports that Kevin Feige was kind of pushing back on this, and maybe the compromise was, fine, it can come out on Disney Plus, but move it to July when more theaters will be open, so hopefully it can do well theatrically. Yeah. You know, because again, if it's going to come out on Disney Plus, just let it come out in May. But maybe they're trying to wait a little bit so people can actually see it in theaters. So I think July is the final date. I think it will happen in July. When's Jungle Cruise set to come out again? Is that September? I believe Jungle Cruise is July or as July. well. Or July. Okay. Yeah, late, I, late July. So this is this is July 8th, I want to say, and then Jungle Cruise is later July. And then Shang-Chi moves back two months as well to September, and the Eternals is still staying in November. Now, no word on them coming out on Disney Plus as well. I think this is probably a one-time thing for Black Widow. Cruella is going to stay in May, but it is also going to be released on premium uh, subscription on Disney Plus as well. So I think Raya has done well. They're moving a few more movies to this this premium model over on Disney Plus. So we'll see how that goes. And then Luca, uh, so this is Pixar's uh, next movie. It's going to be much like Soul Free on Disney Plus. So it's skipping the theaters altogether, which I think this is really interesting. Yeah, it is. That they're doing this because it seems like that they are relegating Pixar to just be their streaming movie provider for free like it it seems odd that they're not even charging a subscription for it or, or even letting it come out in theaters at all and, and maybe their their feedback tells them that families are probably or maybe the least comfortable of going to movie theaters and maybe that has really helped you know subscription signups with soul being free but it seems odd that the past two pixar movies are free on disney plus and the disney animation movie raya was theatrical and a premium rental on Disney+. Plus. I can't help but wonder if that's because Disney movies in general seem to appeal... They, they have an appeal to the masses where it's a kid's movie that has an appeal to adults. I almost feel like Pixar, Pixar has kind of flipped lately and it's a almost an adult movie under the guise of a children's movie. You know, Soul was very deep and to the point where I was almost... I, I almost wondered if there weren't parts of it that maybe kids wouldn't quite understand so i'm wondering if luca has a similar kind of feel to it i think that's a good point and i and i think part of this goes to 
you know, maybe the leaders of each of the studios. So like we talked about the reports where Kevin Feige was really pushing back on releasing any of these Marvel movies as a, as a subscript, as a premium rental on Disney plus. And he really pushed back on it. And ultimately it seems like he lost that battle, but perhaps, you know, Pete doctor who runs Pixar is all on board on streaming and he's really open and just wants to get those movies out there. And so that's why these Pixar movies just move very, very easily. And again, it's just, it's just odd that they're free because you would think, why not make Raya free if you're going to make soul or Luca free? I do think it's interesting. Disney's kind of mindset because you know, a lot of, a lot of people were saying they have to hold these movies for theaters because they have to make their hundreds of millions of dollars back. But again, Pixar movies aren't cheap. They probably spent yeah. 100 150 million dollar budgets on both of these movies, Soul and Luca, and they're just releasing them for free. So, I definitely think that that kind of tells you that they are willing to spend 100 million dollars on a movie and just release it to streaming. So, I I don't think we can say in the future that it has to go theatrical because they need to make X number of millions back. Well, yeah, they have to feed the stream machine. They have to keep reason for, you know, it's like HBO. You know, you and I have kind of off and on subscribed to HBO over the past several years with Game of Thrones and, um, oh my goodness, what's the Western, uh, Westworld? Westworld. <laughs> Westworld and, and certain other shows that we watch on HBO, but sometimes we drop that subscription. So maybe this is Disney's kind of play, kind of like how Netflix is constantly releasing content, although their content's not necessarily always quality, but it's their way of kind of saying, hey, we're going to keep putting quality content on here. Don't drop us. Keep us all the time. Yeah. And I mean, Disney has teams of analysts that look at this stuff. And so again, I'm sure they've crunched the numbers and saw that giving out soul for free, you know, converted to X millions of dollars in new subscribers versus, you know, Mulan, which was a one-time $30 rental. And maybe, like you said, maybe those people sign up for Disney plus purchase Mulan and within a month or two unsubscribed. Whereas people that sign up for soul are continuing on because that's that's really the play of it it's like you know if you have to get a hundred million dollars back you have to sell x number of thirty dollar rentals but if you get you know three times the number of people to sign up and stay for a year you're going to make even more money and i think that's the game they're still trying to play and figure out right now is what is that best model like netflix where it's just constantly free and it's just you know you're just feeding that machine like you said or getting these you know, these premium rentals, these one-time added fees uh, in addition to it. Yeah, I'm interested, you know, Mulan, you brought up a good point and it just had got my my wheels turning. It's a little off track here. But Mulan is a movie that already exists. So I'm almost wondering if they would be better off releasing those for the for free because they, we know they have a whole queue of those, um, you know, animated movies that they're now turning into live action movies. And since they're nothing really new, offer that for free. But then, you know, things like Pixar and stuff, maybe, I, I mean, again, I'm not not part of the team. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I, it just made me think. And you're right. I mean, I, and again, I think it goes to probably who's running the studios, how they feel about the streaming kind of model. I think that plays into it. But then again, yeah, the, the demographics. I mean, I think if maybe the people who would get Mulan for free, that's not moving the needle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Pixar movies, like you said, they are kind of geared. They have adult themes, but I still think that's you know, heavily family movies, you know, children watch those. And again, maybe those are the people that if you have kids and you have Disney plus, you're maybe less likely to pay an additional fee. 
but you're more likely to kind of yeah keep your subscription if those movies keep coming. Yeah. So again, I, I think it's just that game they're playing, but it is kind of sad that it's Pixar. That just seems that they haven't had a theatrical release in a couple years here. And and who knows? I mean, who knows about the next movies if they just, again, just become Disney Plus's go-to kind of movie provider. And the last thing is that Disneyland announced the new Disneyland Forward project. And I think a lot of people took this as an announcement. They're building a third theme park or they're expanding the theme parks, which it eventually could be. On the Disney Parks blog release, uh, Disney talked about that this you know, potential expansion will, quote, build additional theme park attractions, hotel rooms, entertainment, retail, dining, shopping, and parking. So it's very vague and mm-hmm. it's very broad. And and it's because they don't really have any concrete plans. This is really a planning exercise for them to kind <laughs> of get the city of Anaheim on board to allow them to rezone the land um, to the west side of the park around the hotels and the downtown Disney area, allow them to rezone it to be able to essentially build whatever they want on there. So, you know, there's some very vague concept art that looks like, you know, part of it will tie into Disneyland, part of it will tie into DCA, then there'll be some shopping and hotels and common areas. But it sounds like it's not going to be a third theme park in any way. It'll just be in expansion and they kind of talk about on their website potential lands that could come in here and they basically named everything that is coming to any disney theme park around the world within the next five years so they mentioned they could put in zootopia they could put in tron they could put in tangled or peter pan that's going over in tokyo disney sea they could build new hotel rooms it really is just like hey we could literally do anything here we just want to be able to do anything boundless possibilities exactly and so it really is just to kind of drum up support for the rezoning and they said potentially by 2023 they could have some, kind of some more concrete plans i just thought this was interesting this was kind of the most surprising news of the week because Disney has been cutting capital expenditures and everything has been that they're putting projects on hold. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, they're like, Hey, we want to be able to expand Disneyland. That's a great point. You know, when you said this to me, there was a part of me on the inside that was like, Hmm, that's a little off brand right now. But you, until you said it, it didn't really like the pieces didn't quite click together. Yeah. That is an interesting move considering the cuts that everywhere else is kind of experiencing. And again, and Disney as a corporation is not just considering a year out. I mean, they're they're looking, what are the next five, 10, 15, 20 years out? You know, it's a hundred year old organization. And so in order for them to be able to do something in 2025 and 2030, they need to get the approval now from the council. And so that's why they're starting this. And that's why, again, it's very vague because they're not ready to you know, put any shovels in the dirt or spend money, but they just want to have that ready to go. So that way they can start the Imagineering and the blue skying process and be like, okay, everybody really loves Zootopia over in Shanghai. Yeah. Let's throw it in here. Or, you know, Tangled works really well. Let's add it, you know, let's add a boat ride and expand Disneyland and, and have that added property. Cause otherwise it can really just be, I think like parking lots and, and maybe like a hotel. They, they, they need this approval just to kind of be able to do whatever they want. So they're, they're again, they're thinking, decades out you know at this point with it but yeah it was just kind of out of nowhere this this big campaign that they've announced all right so for our main topic we're going to be talking about the animated short destino and this is really interesting because it was a collaboration between walt and salvador dolly but it took 50 years to finish and it's about six minutes long and again we mentioned it's on on disney plus now so if you have that or if not it's on youtube as well you can find it it is a really interesting take and and if you are familiar with salvador dolly's work and kind of the surrealism movement, it leans heavily on that. 
So surrealism is a really interesting artistic movement. It started in the 20th century, and it was this new movement in art and also literature, which I didn't actually realize that there were surrealist poets and things. Uh, And it sought to release the creative potential of the unconscious mind. And it kind of, you know... There's a lot of like big words that are thrown around in the definitions of it. I got a couple of them. But basically, you know, it's putting images that kind of clash against each other or even, you know, it's like a blending. Uh, there's a poet that also was the person who kind of was one of the founders of the movement. His name was Andre Brenton. But he said that it's a means of reuniting conscious and unconscious realms of experience so completely that the world of dream and fantasy could be joined to everyday rational world and an absolute reality, a surrealist. So real reality. So I think that that actually is an interesting like thought of just real world and also your dream dream world collide. Saying kind of like a dreamscape is I think a great way to put it because you know if you see the film, I kind of got that feeling that you know part of it's a dream. But yeah. and, and if you're familiar with with Dolly's work, like the persistence of memory, the melting clocks and everything, you kind of do get that that it is like when you're dreaming there there's a realism to it but things are just a little bit off and and they don't maybe follow like the normal convention that you would think. And it just, it kind of makes you stop and think about a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah. That's my favorite. You know, I really like hyper realistic art or the surrealist movement is probably my favorite of all though, just because again, it's like, it's almost like a playground. And like you said, you just stop and you look at it and you have to be like, what on earth is going on here? You know, there are other really famous artists that came out of there. My favorite, one of my favorite is Rene Magritte. And he's the one that came up with the son of man, which is the one, which is the man that's wearing a bowler hat. And then there's an apple in front of his face. I now know what that painting is now <laughs> because and, you told me about it. And I was like, I don't know that I've ever heard of that. And it's so funny. Cause it's like, he took this time to paint this really nice painting and then just put an apple in front of the guy's face. And it makes me laugh. Like, I think it's a hilarious painting. Although I know that there are some, um, you know, there are some like darker reads on the painting and what that actually means. But to me, the surrealist movement is it's comical in a way and it's and it's fun and it's I don't know, it's serious, but not. And it's it's cool. But going a little bit more into that, actually, Dolly and Disney were contemporaries. It's crazy to think that that they were around at the same time and contemporaries yeah. like that. Yeah, like some of these artists, you know, like he's a big time artist. People who don't know about art know about Salvador Dali. So those kind of people seem, you know, timeless, like Michelangelo, where you're like, oh, that guy existed a long, long time ago. So to think that he was alive at the same time as Walt is kind of crazy. Yeah. And I think, you know, they had a mutual admiration because I think they kind of both pushed their mediums. I mean, Walt was definitely always pushing animation and just what you could physically do you know we've we've talked about this in our disney decade series of just how he invented new ways of sound and new Mm -hmm. ways to record film and everything and you know dolly with the surrealism movement was kind of pushing what art meant and, and that kind of medium and he was part of that as well and so you know they they ultimately met because again they kind of had this this mutual admiration i think there was a story that disney actually read Dolly's autobiography and sent it to him and saying, Hey, we should potentially collaborate at some point. Right. And before that actually happened, they had, they both had works on display at the, at MoMA uh, in New York city. And that's the museum of modern art in New York. Right. And so they were, you know, they were displaying, uh, it was called fantastic art Dada and surrealism exhibition and two cells from Disney short film, 
Three Little Wolves were actually in this with some of Dolly's work. And Dolly wrote to Andre Breton, the guy that we talked about a few minutes ago, who created that one definition that I used, and he was a poet and critic. He said that uh, he wrote to him, I have come to Hollywood and am in contact with three great American surrealists, the Marx Brothers, Cecil B. DeMille, and Walt Disney. So he mentioned his name among these, again, famous artists because he had this admiration for him. Yeah. And so they ultimately met when Dolly was living with Jack Warner of Warner Brothers fame. (laughs) He was working on Alfred Hitchcock's Spellbound. He was working on the dream sequences there, which I read his ideas ended up being too long and complex to actually make it in the film. And so only like a minute of his of what he worked on actually made it into the final sequence. Yeah. But but I thought that was interesting. So he so he was living with him and uh, This is kind of a legendary meeting. Like they there's no there's barely any kind of collaboration on what exactly happened. But yeah, but this is allegedly their their first meeting was in was in August of 1944 at at a party hosted by by Jack Warner and they met there and they decided to work on a a film together and i think disney kind of pitched dolly on it that it would be something similar to fantasia you know they they could work on on a short like this and so dolly actually worked with uh john hench who was an animator and a legendary imagineer i just want to talk about him for a second but they worked Mm -hmm. together for eight months between 1945-1946 on this but but john hench uh he started with disney in 1939 uh, in the animation department, he got very quickly into special effects, and he moved over to the the live action. So he actually designed the squid for the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under oh, the cool. Sea movie, and then he's most, I think, notably known for being an Imagineer. He moved over to Imagineering. He designed Space Mountain. He designed Cinderella Castle, Carousel Progress. Whoa! It's a small world. Uh, he w- I also read that he was the official portrait artist of Mickey, and he painted him for his 25th, 50th, 60th, 70th, and 75th birthdays. Wow. Um, so he definitely is a Disney legend and um, just kind of... Is, is he officially a... Yeah. He oh, has yes, to yes, be. Yes, yeah, yes, I was yes. going to say he has he's, to He's be. officially a Disney legend, and he was really, again, I think one of the ones that kicked off Imagineering and and he moved over to that, you know, right when Walt was starting Imagineering and again, worked on some of the most iconic rides and attractions and things we know at the park, but he worked with Dolly uh, on this in the beginning. And what I found interesting is they worked on this for about eight months and Dolly did like a lot of storyboards and paintings, I think, for this. Right. So, you know, the, the numbers seem to kind of fluctuate depending on what website I looked on, but it, it's around 22 paintings and 135 storyboards, drawings, and sketches. So he put all these things together, kind of springboarded off of his already existing work, but also, um, you know, some new stuff. And of, of course, you can see it in the film that actually eventually came out. And what I found interesting about this, though, is all the storyboards and everything they created, John Hench actually had only animated about 17 seconds of the original footage because this was post-World War II. Disney was going through some financial hardships and we've talked about this again through our disney decade series that you know the disney company we know today this financial behemoth was not what the company was like for the first probably 30 to 40 years of existence it really wasn't until disneyland came around in the 50s right they really got on good footing yeah like the parks really made a huge difference i think i mean just so much synergy people could visit it 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 
really helped. Walt put so much into the movies and he was advancing technology so much that's very costly that basically the movies kind of made enough money just to make the next movie. You know, they, they really didn't make a, a ton of excess money like they do today. Well, you know what? That kind of <laughs> kind of goes back into what our, we started this episode with our news. You know, maybe they're, they're trying to go back to that. They'll kind of get the streaming to make a ton of money. They could pour it into the parks and just help grow the machine. Exactly. So they ultimately like scrapped the project or, or they wanted to scrap. And that's why John Hench, you know, animated 17 seconds of this. But it was it was decided that they weren't going to move forward at the time. That's, I think, one of the most fascinating kind of pieces of this story. And then is, it gets more interesting. Yeah. It, but is that, you know, Dolly worked on this and they put a lot of time into it. But then Walt ultimately scrapped it. But then the movie still got finished 50 years later. Yeah. Which is just absolutely incredible. So the movie that's out there today wasn't necessarily made by Disney and Dolly specifically, but it it draws on all the work they did. So actually in 1999, when Roy E. Disney, so this is Walt's nephew, was working on finishing uh, Fantasia 2000, he brought back to life destino he he decided to work on it again and the crazy part is they actually went to john hench who had worked for again the company for 65 years and was retired and 90 years old at the time and they came to him and asked him to help him finish the project and so he actually got a co-author credit for for doing this because he came out of retirement at age 90 yeah, so this is what's what's really fascinating is is you're right that that Roy found the 17 seconds he kind of saw it and this was the time when again Roy was kind of taking over animation and trying to bring Disney animation back and so I think he probably saw this as a way to, you know, reconnect with his uncle and finish this project. So it was ultimately completed by the Paris Animation Studio. So it's Walt Disney studio over in Paris completed this. They had about 25 people. And what was interesting is, like you said, they brought back John Hench to kind of consult from the original storyboards and they had Dolly's journals from his wife. And so, you know, they, they tried to piece together what those hundred plus storyboards and paintings were all supposed to mean yeah, and how it was all supposed to connect. And so it was interesting that they kind of went back to Dolly's notes to kind of see what was his mindset, what was he thinking, you know, talking to John Hench, hey, when you were working on this, what did you, you know, what was the story? What were you trying to tell? And and 50 years later, they were able to piece something together. So I wonder, you know, did it turn out the way Walt and Dolly really thought it was going to? I don't know, but I, I do think the way it turned out, you really do get a, a Dolly feel. It really leans into that surrealist feel so yeah when i watched this i just thought oh this is a really neat love story and then i went on and i was like oh is this on disney plus and i found the blurb that they wrote and it has a lot of like the history behind the making but then it mentions that it features so this is their words the tragic love story of chronos the personification of time and a mortal woman as they seek each other out across the surreal landscape so often used in the paintings of salvador salvador dali so i, I think it's a, a good point to kind of yeah explain the story so yeah like like the blurb said it's chronos the personification of time and this woman and and you're really you're introduced to this woman and she's she's going through she's in this like desert and then it does just really turn into a dolly painting kind of come to life i mean you have you have the melting clocks you have this surreal shapes and landscapes the woman her head turns she, into like a like a little 
dandelion, like the little Santa Claus. Yeah, Santa Claus. Like the you seed can blow. spreader. Exactly. Um, and then the statue comes to life and he's he's Kronos. And then, yeah, it's just this. You can kind of tell like they're trying to reach each other, but they're not able to connect. And and then she starts dancing. And there's like a baseball and everything. It It's just this very odd story. It is like a dream. It is very much like a it dream. Is. Something that's, yeah, this is a love story, but it is told through a dreamscape type lens. Yeah. And you, I don't know. You think that she's gone, but she's not. And she, I don't know. She becomes the ground at one point. Yeah. It, it is, it is absolutely insane. My brain was doing backflips during the whole thing. And I was just like, this is so cool. Yeah. And when you understand the backstory, I mean, it does make sense. Like you said, she, she's kind of there starting. And then, like you said, she becomes the ground. So it is like the personification of time moving forward. She dies, returns to the ground you know, time becomes a person and you can see him, you know, kind of moving through watching this woman as she ages. It, it's very interesting. And I think he cries at one point. Does he, does, does time cry? I, I feel like maybe I'm, I remember seeing this, but it's that whole thought of if you're an immortal being, how difficult it would be to watch everybody that you love perish. Exactly. And this is all set to the ballad Destino, which literally means destiny. Um, that was, written by Armando Dominguez. And Walt actually specifically picked this song up out and this song he had picked out before they even started doing the animations. So this was the kind of the muse, the inspiration behind all of the uh, animations that Dolly did. And then what we hear, you know, as Americans is there's an American performer, Ray Gilbert. And the other interesting part about this is the recording that they use in the actual movie is the original recording that was recorded, you know, in like the thirties, forties. And then it was such bad quality that, you know, had all kinds of cracks and pops and everything, but they were able to take the modern technology to kind of stitch it up and fix it, fix it up so that it is still that original recording. Yeah. It's interesting that a short about a love story involving time is something that basically persisted through time. That yeah. fifty years of oh my goodness of time. I just my thought, mind I just, my mind just I, blew up. Saying, I just thought of this. This is art for you. How, how you look at art? Because yeah, if you look at it, it basically withstood time to get created. Like you mentioned, the the recordings. There were some issues with the quality, but they were able to resurrect them. This started, and they were able to take the storyboards and Dolly's notes because he wasn't alive, Walt wasn't alive. Whenever they went to finish this, and they were able to piece it together. And again, yeah, the it, it, there's something to to be said about that, where you know life imitates art in a way. You know, you always hear that, and in this case, it kind of actually did. Yeah. That that you know even even time and the death of the creators, the people that were driving this, didn't stop it from getting finished and produced. And then ultimately, it's, it's about a six-minute long short. So again, they had 17 seconds, and it made up to six minutes. I will say, somewhere, and probably some of them are in the Disney archives, those original storyboards and paintings by yeah. Dolly, I'm not sure if they're out there anywhere, but those have yeah. to be worth so much money. You can buy some of that on, like, on the market. I can't imagine how much they go for. It's a really... Well done. Again, it's a, it's a short film. Definitely recommend everybody watching, especially now it's on Disney+. Plus. It's really easy to see. It's really interesting to kind of go back into this history when you kind of have two titans, uh, you know, in their respective art forms. And even, I would say, you know, overlapping. I mean, you know, animation is a style of drawing and, and painting, you know, like 
kind of like Dolly did. So that, that they had that mutual respect for each other and worked on this. It wasn't without difference. I mean, you know, there's also reports that Dolly described the story as a magical exposition of life in the labyrinth of time, whereas Disney described it as a simple love story, boy meets girl. So it's not like they were exactly alike. And I'm sure that they butted heads because creative types do, but they still remain friends over it. I will say that's basically saying the exact same thing. It is kind of just through their lens. So Dolly being the surrealist, kind of the artist, more, like you said, interpreting things on your own, had a much more kind of flowery way of saying <laughs> he it. He had a very flowery whereas Walt, He boiled it down. Yeah, Walt made his career on breaking complex stories down to simple things that, that people could understand very quickly because he had to be able to tell hundreds of animators and storyboard artists and, and everybody exactly what he was trying to accomplish. And so if you make things too complex, it, it, it means something different to everybody. So where in art, that's good. That's not, it means something different to everybody. In animation, that's bad because then you get a mix of ideas and there, you don't have a lot of cohesiveness. So it, they're really saying the same thing. It's just kind of in their own language. And so yeah, I think that's interesting that how you see they come at it from different perspectives. I mean, they both had their own interpretations on mustaches as well. So, I mean, I think that they did. <laughs> I just want to give a little thanks to Park West Gallery and WaltDisney.org. They both had excellent articles where, uh, and I think Wikipedia as well is another place that we looked, obviously, but they all had excellent information on this that we wouldn't be able to have done this um, without them. So thanks. I think that wraps up the show for this week. I want to thank everybody again for listening. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. It really helps us reach a larger audience and we really appreciate all of your support. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody. And we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.